VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to the game with me, Alison, the Iron Lady Rudd. No gab this week, but we have a fine lineup to keep you entertained for the next 40 minutes or so in the studio with me, Rory Smith and Tony Cascarino, and from his cute little cottage in the northeast, George Conkin. Later on, we're going to focus on a potential changing of the guard in the Premier League and review Sunderland's triumph over Newcastle. But we'll start with the FA Cup semi finals. First up, one of the most entertaining games of the season, I think. Manchester City's defeat of Chelsea at Wembley. Rory, you gave Yaya Torre the highest marks in your your lovely assessment of the players. Um, but I, I do think, I, I mean, I personally, I thought Yaya was the difference between the teams. Yeah, do, I think... You agree, you, obviously. Yeah, if you put... Um, it's not my own thoughts, so I shouldn't claim it, but if you basically, if you put Yaya and Gareth Barry, the admittedly sort of pedestrian Gareth Barry, in Chelsea's midfield instead of Ramirez, who can't control the football, and John Obi Mikel, who can't pass one, then I think Chelsea win that game. That was the difference between the teams. That Yaya, he, I mean, I don't think he's not been as good this season as he was at the tail end of last season, Yaya, but he's, he's just. He's such a driving force in midfield that, that teams can't live with him. And he was, certainly for the first hour yesterday, by some considerable distance, the best player on the pitch. Tony, were you impressed? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it was a Patrick Vieira type of performance, wasn't it? We all loved and admired about him driving the team forward. Chelsea couldn't handle it. And the midfield and just everything that came at them come from him. You know, he's a, he's a huge guy. I mean, he's a big unit and he just comes at you with pace and power. He drives forward and he was the real difference. And, you know, I've I got to say, one of my favourite players is Silva and Man City didn't look like they missed him. Yeah. Right, because of Yaya Toure, because of his performance. And that typified the, the result for me was the difference was him. By the same token, Tony, if one matter, who I think is the heartbeat of the Chelsea side, had been tick-tocking properly, it might have been a different story. Um, yeah, it didn't quite happen for him. Look, he's been superb all season. And, and do you know what? Football, a good number of years ago, every club was looking for players like Patrick Vieira, Yaya Toure, big, powerful guys that use their athleticism and their power to drive, literally break down the opposition. And one matter, and players of his elk, and many teams, and Barcelona are the greatest example, where they went for a smaller, nimble, more agile, gifted, technically superb, and goals, goals galore. That's what matter gave Chelsea. 
and I just got that funny feeling yesterday. Maybe there's going to be a bit of return of big, powerful midfielders because every club or every child's game I went and watched uh, over the course of a season, I see so many scouts looking for big, powerful midfielders because they just saw that as the as the dominant dominating figure. But th- that was the problem, wasn't it? That Vieira was like Torre. He it's not just that he's big and tall and rangy and powerful. He's in, he was incredibly mm. technically gifted, mm. and so was Torre. That's the thing that kind of stands out with Yaya. That he, and Mata was lost really. Well, because I think, him and the others. I, I, I don't want to just point out Mata because he didn't really get into the game. And he, and he, but the whole of the Chelsea midfield was seemingly dominated by one particular guy. Well, Hazard, Hazard came into it the last half hour when City mm. brought on about seven central defenders and sat back about ten yards. Mm. But the, the thing with Chelsea, they just looked absolutely knackered. <laughs> Mata isn't exactly sort of a. It, I mean, I think I'm not saying he's not fit, but he's not kind of an athletic. You know, he's not no. got that sort of slender build. He's sort of a little bit short, a little bit squat. He's not. He's not desperately quick. But they all look just completely. Really? I, I'm interested. You say that because they ought to look knackered. But I thought in the second half they when, they were they were firing. When City sat back an extra ten yards. Hazard, they, they got Hazard into the game. Austria did did nothing. Mm. I like Austria. I think he's come on mm. a lot. Austria. I think he's done, and, and Tony agrees. I think that he's going to be a tremendous player. Matt mm. is obviously a world class footballer, but they all looked shattered, and it's not. There's no surprise. I mean, they they mm. landed at three in the morning from Moscow on on Friday, so they had sort of sixty hours to prepare for the game. A lot of them didn't play, but they all travelled, which I think does a lot of damage. And they've played fifteen more games than City this season. City looked just looked like they had mm. more energy. I agree with you. They came into it, but it, that's more adrenaline, and that might. Act Actually, kind of, and they slightly went for it. We've putting Torres down, yeah. you know, down the more central, closer towards Denville Bar. There was a bit of a style, and they went back to front much more quicker. Whether they tried to compete with City in the, the opening hour of the game by going through the midfield, like Rory said, Ramirez kept getting it, giving it away. Mikel was just anonymous to me. I've never quite got what everybody saw, saw in Mikel, but I think with that, I think Mata suffered because he's had better partners in there and more help and. Didn't think they gave it to him. I feel a bit like we're leaving George out of this, but but oh. just one one no, final, carry on. final thing on Chelsea. They don't have a problem this summer. Whoever is manager, regardless, of, it's obviously not Guardiola, but whether it's Pellegrini or Mourinho or whoever, if Abramovich does what he normally wants to do, which is sign loads of attacking players, as he thinks that that will win him games, they will have another season like this season because what they need is possibly one fullback probably another central defender and at least two proper midfielders Tony said in the paper today that the defence is the problem I, I respectfully disagree and think the actual problem is the defensive midfield in that they don't have one oh, I, I agree with you Rory because I was hoping we might solve the mystery of Mikel today because I think he's held, really holds Chelsea back and I think a myth has grown up because when they were at Old Trafford in the FA Cup and uh, Mikel came on and then they Drew 2 2 after being 2 0 down. Everyone said, What a ta- tactical genius Rafa is. He's brought Mikel on. It's allowed the team to go forward. I think what happens if, is when Mikel's on, they, they all feel they have to put in extra energy because they're a 10 man team suddenly. Mm. I don't. George, do you have any theories on what Mikel offers the team? Um, nothing, nothing earth-shattering. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I sort of see that. I mean, I, I see it in in the teams that I watch up here as well. You, you have players in certain positions who seem to offer something. I, I don't personally. I don't quite get it with Mikel either. Um, you know, it's that kind of water carrier role, isn't it? But. Um, you know, I think we expect more from that from players now. That has to be, and that it's not just about breaking play up; it's about doing something with the ball too. And I, I don't quite say it with him. But he doesn't even break play up. He can't tackle. 
He doesn't move. That's the he just thing sort of stands there. He just yeah, he does. He doesn't do. He makes anything. <laughs> he makes Chelsea very ponderous. He makes the weight because when he takes the the ball from centre halves, he looks to go forward. It's all done at a very slow pace. It's quite easy passing. It's not eye catching. He, he doesn't score goals. He gets loads of bookings. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think he's a very creative player. He's never going to see Mikel open the back four up with a, a threading pass. He just doesn't do so many things. He does keep it quite well, but not much more. Um, let's deal with the penalty that wasn't given. Anyone going to disagree that it should have been a penalty? Hang on, I'm confused. Torres, by, I'm confused Torres, by, I'm confused Torres, by Torres having his hair, t- his hair, <laughs> having his shirt taken off it, it, by it, company. It, it was a penalty. No, we, yeah, that's what we think, isn't it? We yeah, think it was we a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Mm. okay. And um, the lunge by Aguero. Um, <laughs> quite a lot said about by David Lewis on this. First of all, he demands an apology. Then he says he forgives him. It was an aberration. He's not regarded as a dirty player is he Tony? No um, but it was a really poor challenge yeah. that's uh, a deliberate attempt to hurt somebody I think we, you kind of come away from that when you start lifting your feet and your feet are in an action of literally off the ground and two feet are, you can see the thighs literally being bent and his knees come, his feet come down uh, onto Louise I just thought it was a really bad challenge there was a couple of instances during the game wasn't there a couple of nasty things happened in the game nothing that crossed the line but that was the, the thing that I think a lot of players would look at that and thought mm, you deliberately really tried to hurt him now I don't get this he's not that sort of player thing I mean Obviously, it's a slight exaggeration, but like, but like most people who kill people wouldn't describe <laughs> themselves as that kind of person. Do you know? It doesn't matter if he does it, then then he's done it. Ah, yes, but if we saw murderers on CCTV in their kitchen week in week out, we would generally form an opinion. Yeah, he's a hothead. He might hit his wife over confer- the head with a saucepan. Confirmation. If, if Daniel if you slow it down, if you slow the action replays down of the man with the saucepan <laughs> hitting his wife on the head, it would look much worse than it would necessarily <laughs> do in real life. <laughs> Right, well, Man City will play the mighty Wigan in the FA Cup final. Um, This is a bit indulgent because uh, I've sort of slowly fallen in love with Sean Maloney this season. He's Wigan's player of the season, isn't he, Tony? Um, Well, me me and Rory have done so much. Well, I think we've probably had 10 conversations, this going back from last year. Well, I personally thought that he single-handedly dragged Wigan out of the mire and, and got results he is one of them players who just look at and think why is a top four club not took him now I know he come from Scotland and he had a bit of a difficult time with Aston Villa and Martin O'Neill never quite found his so feet you've answered your own question there haven't you yeah so, well I have but I've watched a player for 18 months I think he's been absolutely one of the best players I've seen in the last 18 months. And he's a player that, to me, easily could play for a top four team. Easily. Now, whether he's matured, grown up, not done the things off the field that he might have done before, for whatever reason, I'm seeing a really clever player. I said to Rory, I said, when Fergie got cleverly back from Manchester United, from Wigan, I remember chatting to him, I'll tell you what, how we couldn't see that Maloney's a better player than Cleverly, I don't know. And I know he was a Man U player on loan, but I actually thought that at the time, and I think he's a player that easily could go on. I think it's quite interesting that, that maybe you might have a love rival for Sean Maloney, Alison. I think <laughs> Cass, might, Cass might be fighting, fighting you for his well, affections. We don't get many things right in life, do you? Is it a, is when it, you get one, well, you've got to go for it. Is it a love triangle? I tell you, uh, I, no, I really like Maloney, but the one with Wigan that I just, I, I find it stunning. I know that they want a lot of money for him, and that's maybe put teams off. What a player McCarthy is. Mm. Yeah. What a player. 
just just so calm and so kind of technically excellent. His position is brilliant. His he reads the game well, tackles well. He does does everything John Obi Mikel can't. Um, won't get overrun. I wouldn't have thought by by Torre in the same but, way in the final. But what just a fantastic footballer. And don't be surprised with Ladman Manaman as well. The kid that's yeah, just come in. He's really looking a player as well. Yeah. In, in, the two things actually quite interesting. Does McCarthy went down from Hamilton to Wigan? I think Liverpool were in for him and possibly Everton, and he decided to go to Wigan because he wanted to play, which is something that all young players mm. could learn from. Don't go to the big club and sit on the bench; it's pointless. Yeah. Go to Wigan, take your chances, believe in your ability. Mm. McManaman is a. I, th- I can't remember which academy he was at, but Wigan had got this policy of getting eighteen to twenty-two-year-olds from all the clubs around them, and and bringing the ones that the other academies have rejected through. And McManaman's the first kind of success they've had with that and it's great, it's great to see that the game had kind of maybe given up on McManaman a little bit he'd obviously been, dis- been determined not to be good enough and now he's getting his chance Right Rory you've just described a top four team how come Wigan might go down? Uh, because the other nine players aren't very good <laughs> That's not true though is it? Because Gary right, you Cal- should be answering Does Gary Wig- Caldwell's in their squad? Rory they won't go down you see, that's I, the answer. I, I, I'm worried because I look. I, you, you love Sean Maloney. I genuinely love Roberto Martinez. In that, I spent quite a lot of time outside his house just watching him, <laughs> and because I think he's wonderful. I, I, but we can give his address, can't we? we can. I know where he lives. I think, you know where I think we've all got his address yeah. written on our hearts. Um, but I am worried about them because I think Sunderland's win at Newcastle kind of chucks them back into it. At some point, they'll look. Okay, okay, we've agreed. We've agreed. Squad. There are elements to Wigan we all love, mm. whether it's the manager or the play, individual players. But wh- why? Why are they in the, the position they're in? They have they have players we are we have just gushed over. So why? Because they start slowly. Do they always sell sell someone who's important in the summer? Do they've got a really small squad? And because Martinez's open style uh, runs risks. Okay, and Martinez said after the final, uh, in his beautiful little way, he thinks preparation for the FA Cup final will assist their relegation battle. And George, is that is that it just, has do. to say that? Or? It can do. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it can do. Um, uh, we've we've seen it before. You've got momentum somewhere. That momentum can sort of you know can can infiltrate in other areas too. But we've seen it go the other way around. So Norwich win the League Cup. Um, and go down doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean that and you know the, the point is that because they've been playing these cup games they are in the bottom three and once you're in the bottom three you know it kind of I think it kind of calcifies that difficulty it, be, it, it becomes a it becomes an emotional thing and, it's, and it can be more difficult to get out and of course you meant that Birmingham won the League Cup and went down didn't you really George no I meant Norwich but Birmingham done the same thing since then yeah when did Norwich do that George <laughs> We're all looking really blank. Did you mean it was 1984 or 1985 wasn't it, when they played Sunderland and they, and they both went down? Well done, George. I have no idea. That's, if that's amazing. True or not. <laughs> milk, milk cup. Milk that's cup. amazing. Andy used the word calcifies in a, in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> what milk calcification? Intri- that is an in, that is an incredible display of power from Tolkien. <laughs> Just on one thing, and we're talking about. You've mentioned Wigan, and you know, we're talking about they could go down and win the cup. It wouldn't surprise me. They go to Man City this week. And Man City have just played Man United and they've played Chelsea in the, the semi-final of the Cup. Two big, big games for them. And second place is pretty much tied up, isn't it? They'll, 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 they'll stay in the Champions League. It wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that Wigan could go there and get a result. How many times have we seen teams have a really tough week, hard games like Chelsea we've touched on, and then suddenly come up against someone like Wigan and they get beat? George, can Wigan win the Cup? Yeah, of course they can, but they won't. 
<laughs> Rory? Uh, I agree with George. No, I, I think um, much as I said they'd win at Man City, uh, they could do, or could do. I think uh, on a cup final day, I think City have got too much class. Although, having said that, I, I do agree with George, but we didn't beat, beat big teams. And mm. the, the, if, if they played in City, if City are overconfident, we saw City against Stoke two, two years ago. Mm. Yeah, they, 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 only, they only just edged that against Stoke because the pressure of being being the massive favourites obviously got to them a little bit and Stoke were, were massively up for the, the biggest game of their careers or whatever it's not it's not a foregone conclusion it's not if, the, if it had been City Millwall you'd be saying right this is you know how many can Millwall avoid conceding Widden, Widden can beat big sides and you've just reminded me that Millwall were involved at the weekend do we have sympathy for their image problem the, the, the standard thing now said is when there's an issue with the Millwall fans People say, "Oh, I do feel sorry for the, you know, the people in charge of the club. Tr- they've tried so hard to change the image." Tony, do, you, do is that is that the story? Yeah, it's, it doesn't matter what they do; the fans that, can't help um, themselves. Well, the club have done unbelievable strides. I mean, like, I followed the club as a as a kid. It was always, although Liverpool was my my real love, I went and watched Millwall because I lived around the area. I know lots of Millwall fans. It's, it's an amazing club in many ways. They have done everything in their power to try and stop this problem with Millwall fans. And I'm saying to Rory this, so that it's quite incredible. Everyone made a big thing about the ticket allocation that, you know, Wigan couldn't sell it out, yet Millwall done in days. Millwall get half the crowds of Wigan, half of South London. I, I, know, I, I lived in the area. There's so many Millwall fans within the area, and yet Charlton get bigger crowds and nearly double what Millwall get, and so do Crystal Palace get far bigger crowds than Millwall, and yet most of South London is Millwall fans. The problem that Millwall has as a football club, they have so many fans that don't go... But when they have a big opportunity, like a, a, a you know a player final or an FA Cup semi final, they come without the wood, without the wood for, from the woodwork, and they are there. And there is a lot of problems with the outside Millwall fans, the fans that don't come too often. And I was with some fans Saturday night because I was at a fiftieth, and a load of them went to the game, and they said all the troubles about two groups, one from Bermondsey and one from Peckham, started fighting each other. Rival gangs within or vi- areas of, of the Millwall, South London area where they just decided they'd have a tear up. And they started fighting themselves. They then started fighting policemen that got involved. And this is the problem for Millwall Club because they sold their tickets or some amount of tickets you could go to the ground and buy. You know, they'd sold their allocation and they'd done it, in, you know, done it really quickly. And yet... This, this type of thing will happen and I know that I, I feel sympathy with the club because I know the, the club are embarrassed by it I know lots of Millwall fans are embarrassed by it because unfortunately for Millwall as a club there's pride in a good number of Millwall fans of being being thugs they seem to have pride in it and these these type of guys hardly ever go there hasn't been a problem at Millwall Football Stadium no, for no. quite a long time yeah. <laughs> I know there's a lot of police protection but every time there's an occasion where they've got to go somewhere or you know there's a big match moment these people come out of the woodwork and I think that's the bigger problem for the club is trying to stop these people that only come now and again do we know how to solve that Rory? well I suppose not putting tickets on general sale maybe I mean I, d- I, d- I don't know if there is and yeah it's difficult if you, you, you could I suppose introduce some sort of scheme where you have to present an idea well, they had a members they, 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 they did have that they, yeah, yeah. introduced it didn't yeah. they I don't know whether it's yeah. still in place there, there are measures you can take but I think um, to be honest I think Tony's right that if you've got loads and loads of people who want 
to go and make trouble. They sold, they sold big, 34,000 tickets. They get 10,000, watch them every other week. Yeah, and that, lim- that's, that's a big crowd, 10,000. It's like, the, this is a part but of the problem. What I would say is that, and, and I think that's, there was this initial, the, the, Millwall's reaction, and I, I think the club deserve a huge amount of credit for what they've done. I'm slightly uneasy with with the way that Kenny Jacket, who I think is a wonderful football, proper football man, Kenny Jacket, everyone speaks really highly of him, the way that he imme- he will not condemn them straight away. I understand he's in an awkward position, but he, he didn't, on Saturday night, he didn't come out and condemn them. He said he hadn't seen the fighting. I'm not quite, he must have really not been watching. Um, because everyone else could see the fighting. As I'm, you, you, there's pictures of the players watching the fighting. Kenny Jacket comes out and says, well, I didn't see it, so I don't want to condemn it. He's still not condemned it, and I understand that he's in a difficult position because he has to be kind of responsible to the club but also doesn't want to antagonise the, the, the thuggish element. But the, the press officer, I think, came out and said that maybe it was um, sort of West Ham fans infiltrating, infiltrating the home end, which is the default setting of it's not our fault. It is a huge problem for Millwall, but I don't know, I'm slightly, just slightly uneasy that yeah, they but, maybe don't uh, con- confront to, it quite as they should. To be fair to Kenny, after the Luton, game at Luton in the FA Cup, uh, there was a bit of trouble. Mm. And it did turn out that the, the, all the arrests were West Ham fans. West Ham fans had travelled to Luton mm, to in order trouble. to cause trouble yeah. outside the the ground in the station. Right, uh, you know, but you shouldn't. That's that's the, fine. The, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't be saying point. that straight I mean, away. It's a slightly kind of media related point as opposed to a football point. But it's quite interesting the way these things work. Obviously, you know, those pictures from the weekend were were, were pretty horrible. But it, it then puts everybody on a on a kind of setting that means that. I mean, what happened at Newcastle outside Newcastle Stadium yesterday also looked re- looked really ugly. But twenty or thirty arrests outside a, a, a football stadium in the northeast isn't actually that isn't actually that unusual. And I'm, again, I'm not I'm absolutely not condoning condoning that. It's just that suddenly, because there were pictures of it and because of what happened at, uh, at, at Millwall on the weekend, there's this huge prominence, and it's football's weekend of shame. I'm not entirely sure that's that you know that's the reality of it. Well, yeah, I mean, the other thing I think that's important with, in terms of Millwall is that this, it was dressed up as this return to the bad old days. There were not 50 or 60 people fighting in the bad old days. That's, that, that was a scuffle. Yeah. What, what used to happen was a lot worse. In a, in, a, in a kind of slightly twisted sense, it maybe shows how far we've, the game has come that, that that is now considered dreadful. When in, in reality, 1983, that's probably quite a lot, that's probably a decent afternoon, afternoon for the police. And, and in, some, in some way as well, if you look at it, these people are going to be caught because they're, they're, their images are there for everybody to see. And it's actually going to be a moment where even fans who are considering you know, that, that, that there's going to be a problem at a stadium, they might think again because all these images have been shown everywhere. So that all these people are going to get found and be caught. Yeah. I mean, the guy with, his, with the Millwall fan with a, a policeman's hat on, I mean, it's a full page, you know, everyone's going to know him. He's going to be famous for 15 minutes as Andy Warhol's, and everybody is, but these people are going to get arrested. Right, brilliant. Podcast puts pleasant spin on Riot. The Tynalmere Derby, George, is that is that the best one you've covered for the Times? Um, no, I wouldn't say it was the best. It was certainly, up, it was, I mean, Newcastle didn't turn up, so I... Um, I can't say it was one of the best. It was certainly one of the most remarkable, um, and certainly the most remarkable since the 5-1 uh, Newcastle victory, um, and completely sort of counter to all expectations, even amongst you know some of the fans that I know there was really the thinking was that they would go there and that they would lose. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. 
There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So it was... Um it was a pretty special day for them. Um, they played really, really well. And kind of the, the cameo got them uh, doing exactly what the club wanted him to do, which was, you know, for, to, to get kind of players to overachieve. And, you know, Newcastle, by the same token, underachieved. They were they were very poor. How do you reckon De has done it? Is it purely because he's passionate or has he got some sort of tactical masterstroke he's been pulling? Well, I think he's, you know, I think it's one of those footballing things where a new manager comes in and any new manager will get some sort of result. Um, it'll have some sort of effect because players are intrinsically sort of selfish. They they have a new man to impress um, and they're thinking about their sort of career. So, you know, that gives a lift. That wouldn't, that would only go so far if there wasn't something behind it. Um, obviously, it's very... Um, it's very early in terms of sort of determining exactly what he's doing on the training ground or not but he's working with them individually um, as well as sort of collectively and um, you know it was interesting to see someone like Adam Johnson who's had a kind of really awful season Um, you know he was expected to be a player that was going to you know I mean he, he was sort of a statement signing by Sunderland I mean in the sense of what it meant to them as opposed to what it means to the rest of the country it was you know he was the person that was kind of lifting people's heads in the summer and he's been awful um, that was arguably his best performance this season and it's interesting to see that sort of De Canio's had a had some kind of effect on him and all the way through the game he was talking De Canio was talking to him and shouting at him um, you know and there was a there, there was a big effect I was at George. I remember chatting to Noel Quinn, and he was telling me about uh, Roy Keane's greatest moment. He said when he brought in three players, they went and played at Barnsley, and you'll remember it well. And he dropped yeah. the three for making the bus late, and they got there, yeah. and he said and they won two 0 And he said Keane could not have had a more, you know, iconic moment of, from from the fans' yeah. point of view. And I said, I'm watching it. I'm sent to a power on Saturday. I'm watching the game. And I'm like uh, yesterday. And, what an impact that Di Canio has made with the fans already you know it's yeah. like it's up there whether he's a god already after what two yeah. games one at Chelsea and one against Sunderland well, uh, the, the, key, the, the Keane comparison is kind of quite a good one because I mean in terms of sort of lack of experience and yeah. so on and so forth but also I mean arguably for the wrong reasons when he initially came in at Sunderland but he did kind of like the blue touch paper beneath the club beneath the city he's given it a bit of a shock and and sort of lifted people um, and uh, you know that sort of passion that he showed on the touchline George how's that been received the celebration of the goals 
How's that been received? Well, I, I mean, from from Sunderland's perspective, obviously, uh, obviously very well. Um, from the Newcastle perspective, I guess it would be kind of less so. But then, at the, by the same token, um, it's not as if you know. It's not, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's not as if Alan Pardew doesn't do sort of similar. You know, similar things. I don't think it was seen as inflammatory because he was sort of doing it in front of, um, it's sort of in the direction of Sunderland fans as opposed to sort of doing it to doing it to you know doing it to Newcastle punters. But do you not think, in a way, because of the fury over his appointment, he, ha- I feel he had to behave in that sort of exhibitionist manner to make us sort of fall back in love with him. Do you see what I mean? We now we now know it's it's as if by behaving like that on the touchline. I, I mean, you know, he's zoomed to number one in the charts of of managers. We're all going to want to watch, hasn't he? He's, 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 it's another level of celebration and passion and just being so visible about it. I yeah. do feel I do feel it's allowed us to draw a line under the whole is he a fascist or not debate and, and move to the well he's just a crazy amazing guy. I think from, I mean, it's difficult to sort of, it's difficult to quantify in those those terms. I mean, I think that, you know, there are still a lot of people, you know, sort of very, you know, uh, sort of decent Sunderland fans, Sunderland fans for a long time who are, you know, who are still appalled by the fact that he's been appointed. Um, They will get, you know, they'll get drowned out probably by the majority of fans who want to come to the stadium, who want to see their team stay up and... Um, you, you know, and but I do think that he, what he has done, is, you know, in the same way as Keane did, he's he's he, it's his passion that's then reflected back onto them, and it's you know it it it's it's helped a club and it's helped a team and it's helped a city to sort of lift its head a little bit at precisely the time that they need it. I mean, you, you have to remember that if you've been a Sunderland fan, um, even while they've had this, you know, very long unbroken. Sp- stretch in the Premier League I mean very long in their own context of their own history there's been long long stretches in seasons where it's been pretty miserable for them and they haven't quite made the leap that they expected to do and it's very easy for them to fall back onto that kind of depression and misery that sort of saw them get relegated those those two times with you know record low point Halls. I mean that that's very much in, in in their history. So they do need this jolt, and he's certainly given them that jolt. George, does this pull Newcastle back into the relegation battle? Well, they're, they're 13th, aren't they? So there's a, there's a there's a gap in terms of teams, and it's been a difficult season for Newcastle. Anyway, what with the Europa League, that's now gone, and it looks pretty stark for them now. And this, you know, results like this do linger. That must have been a factor as well, though. The the as it was with Chelsea playing on Thursday night, Sunderland have had a free week. You, that, that must affect. I know they're, you ask players about it, and George will have done this as well. You ask players about it, they'll go, no, 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 it's fine. You know, we're a big squad, we can cope. We're all professionals, but it must it must make a difference. Even the emotional tiredness of, of having kind of come that close to having that great comeback against Benfica. To yeah. then finding themselves one all, you're out, mm. and suddenly Sunderland are in your face, and Paolo Di Canio sliding along, along the touchline. I, I just think in in sport, and I've said this on numerous uh, occasions, that the edge, the difference, and it's only small, and it can be taken away by, like you said, it, it's not always that reason. But if you don't ever have that edge in sport, you you're just not the same. Whether it's a team or an individual, you can be beaten, you can be vulnerable. But George, you did say at the start of, of your assessment of the derby that Newcastle didn't turn up. I mean, there, there yeah, can only I mean, be one excuse for that, and that is that they were they were jaded after the match against well, Benfica. 
Yeah, I mean, does that does that excuse them for putting in arguably their worst performance at home? I'm not sure it does. I think there's more, you know, I and was it really was it really their worst performance? It didn't I, look, I mean, it didn't look they, that bad. I know I they lost three nil, but they didn't. I mean, they had some chances. They, they did have some chances. Um, you know, Cisse had a perfectly decent goal ruled out for offside. But I, I don't think you would. I don't think anybody was making a claim for injustice. I mean, normally, you know, that that would have made the score one all. Um, you know, so it was a quite a crucial moment. But but then afterwards, you know, th- there was no sense that anybody from Newcastle, either you know, as part of the club or, or supporters, were kind of claiming that as a sort of huge injustice. I mean, it just didn't feel like that at all. I mean, it. it yeah, I mean. Even as even as a journalist reporting on Europe, you, you, you know you, you know how much it takes it out of you, either travelling or doing the work oh, or being part of it. No, no, no. But what, I suppose what I, what I mean what I mean is that you can feel that the, the travelling does make you more tired, and that I mean not that mm. Newcastle were away from home last week. I mean, I think I definitely think that's a case. And if you've had injuries and your squad has been stretched anyway, then obviously it's gonna it's gonna make a difference. I don't think that's a good enough excuse for the lack of impetus that Newcastle had, for the lack of imagination. Um, you know, they looked so ponderous on the ball. I thought that was the sort of thing that really, that kind of really surprised me was it looked like every single player needed three seconds on the ball. There was no speed of thought. Um, there was kind of no movement. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I think that's a big deal. I mean, I think that's a big deal in in, in North East terms. And, um, it's one of those things that sort of takes a while to, to forget about and put right. People get more tired in the northeast. Famously, and I was going to say that the, part of the reason that George might find his, his European trip so exhausting is the nights out. I don't think the players have the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredibly unprofessional of you, Roy. <laughs> so, quick, quick poll. Uh, who thinks Di Canio will keep Sunderland up? Yes, I do, Tony. Really don't know, honestly. You've got to say yes or no. You've got to say yes or no. Uh, it's going to be touch and go, and I'll still go that Sunderland will go. They're going down? Mm. Ooh. I, I think he might keep them up, but not... I, don't, I think they'll stay up, but I don't know if it'll be because of Di Canio. I think they might stay up because of the failings of others. George? If it, before yesterday, I'd have said going down. Now I would say going up. They've still got to play Stoke and Southampton. I think they'll. I think they'll do it now. Good. Right. Let's move to our debate um, with Everton visiting. This is difficult to say because I, I don't know when you're listening to this, everybody. So Everton, they're visiting visiting the Emirates on Tuesday, which might be tomorrow or it might be tonight. So. Um, there's a battle on there, which is the most intriguing. Arsenal's desire to finish higher than Spurs, or vice versa, or Everton's desire to finish above Liverpool, and vice versa. Rory, which of those two lovely little side issues, maybe, but they've become the big ones at the moment, intrigue you the most? Probably Arsenal and Spurs, just Everton finished above Liverpool last year, and I think it's fairly obvious that Everton are a better football team than Liverpool. So it, it would be, I mean, injustice is probably too much, but Everton deserve to finish above Liverpool because they've been better this season than Liverpool for all of the season. So, And do, do, thereby, do Everton deserve a um, Champions League place? I, I'd love it if Everton not in the Champions League. I don't, I don't think they will, but I think it would be, it would be fantastic. And it, the really interesting thing with Everton in the Champions League 
I think as it stands, Moyes will leave this summer. Regardless? Well, no. I think if they're not in the Champions League, he might. I, I suspect that's what he's waiting for to make his decision. I think if they end up even in the Europa League, I think he probably goes. Does he really? It's 10 years, and they've, they've obviously hit it last ceiling, Everton. If he can get them in the Champions League, that's a massive game changer. And there's no reason why they can't go to the Emirates and win Everton because they're, they're an incredibly difficult side, side to play. So I think that's. The, the situation there is really interesting, but Arsenal and Spurs is the is the um, is, is kind of the more significant one almost because, well, I've said on this before. I think it's I'd be good for Arsenal not to finish in the, in the top four. I think it's important that they don't finish in the top four. There's obviously lots of interest in David Moyes from other clubs. Um, Where do you think he'd go then if they didn't? I, I, make I've been told for quite a while that Chelsea have shown a real interest and in thinking of going British. Um, you know, because of not the guarantees of maybe what happens with Mourinho or whoever, that they really feel like a British type of manager. Not done that under Abramovich. You know, so he obviously and apparently Abramovich is a big fan of a guy that's done amazingly well with very little. He really likes finance. Tony Hibbert. Abramovich. He's really impressed by the way <laughs> you know, Moyes has brought Hibbert through. Would Would that still you know, everyone has hit lists, don't they? Whether it's a player, you might go for a player, you'd have two, three choices of a particular player you want if you can't get the one you want. And I think it's the same with a manager. I think clubs look at managers and they go, I tell you what, if we can't get in, we go boom, 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 and they're in the frame. And I, for, for me, David Moyes not wanting to stay on and having maybe other goals there has to be a lot of inquiries to, made to him and his agent but I suspect I suspect Tony if they are if Chelsea really are thinking of Moyes I yeah. think Moyes' list of what you must not do how you must not interfere will be even more strict than Mourinho's list of do um, not interfere um, yeah uh, I think that you, you're right I, th- I think I do feel that but when you're say if you were David Moyes and you, he's fought so hard, long and hard against you know clubs of far more backing than he's had and, and he's been competitive and it's got a team like we've seen this year I mean you, you think that Anna Shaby would be a centre forward for a team that could be you know this kid couldn't get in a, he's in and out of the team all the time and wouldn't get in any top four team and he's had players like Seamus Coleman and coming at right back and he's had Hibbert and he's had you know players he's took three Man United rejects in Howard uh, well Philip Neville uh, and the lad in midfield Gibson you know they weren't regulars and okay more, Neville more so than the other two but he still managed to get a team challenging so high so there'll be clubs looking at him and thinking, just give him a chance. Maybe it is his chance. And what is he, nearly 50 now? I think it's, uh, it could be a possibility that he could easily be attracted to a very big club. No manager with a brain would go to Chelsea in ordinary circumstances, but Moyes needs a shot at a big club. It's an imperfect big club because you have to accept that Abramovich will interfere, he'll sign the wrong players, that Emanala will do whatever he can to protect his own position despite clearly being relatively inept. Um, but Moyes probably has to take that risk because he's not going to get say say Ferguson retired this summer which he's not going to but say he did Moyes isn't a contender for United because he's not done enough he needs to take a chance he's an imperfect candidate so he needs an imperfect club this does contrast I mean we're gushing a little bit about Everton it does contrast quite starkly with the fact we're not gushing about Liverpool Rory is it significant that Everton will finish above Liverpool for the second season running. Uh, yeah, to an extent. They, they, do you know they just look? They're less of a team than Everton. Everton have got a clear identity. Liverpool still look a bit confused, a little bit kind of uncertain. Liverpool, as, as a football club, cannot um, be 
outside the, the very best. They're a club that's got a huge history. Um, it's been pretty much accepted that there's an open-top bus at Anfield. Now if they make top four, uh, which I find incredible to where Liverpool were as a football club. I, I think it's been a real strange year for Rodgers um, because of the way the season started, the documentary and the behind the scenes at Liverpool, and I weren't quite sure, you know, all these messages that were going out. How big a mistake was that documentary, do you think? For me, big, because I think you you're, you're, you can get problems within your own dressing room and then at the start of the season he was leaving out all these big names Enrique down in that had all been bought for money and, and a good few others uh, that he'd done he's, and, and he's ended up having to go back to most of these so it, I, I felt that you were asking for trouble within your own camp that, that you didn't need to do that was the problem I had with it George isn't, did you, it, isn't, did, it, isn't sorry, it interesting Rory. that all of Kenny Dalglish and Damien Tomoli's signings with the exception of Andy Carroll who obviously was mm. shipped out on loan have been the ones that Liverpool have turned to this season yeah. and not Rodgers' signing. I don't want to leave this um, debate without just picking you up, Rory, and why it's, why it's good for football that Arsenal don't make the top four. It's not four. good for football. I think it's more... In- it, well, it probably is good for football. It's more interesting. Um, and I think Spurs probably deserve it because I think they're a better team at their best. Spurs are a better team than Arsenal at their best. I think Arsenal need a jolt to the system. They Theoretically, they have the money to cope with a season out of the Champions League. Fine, let's put that to the test. And the other thing is that I think it might wait Render up from his sort of reverie. The problem that Arsenal are going to have is that if they finish third or fourth, and they could even finish second if City start slipping up, Wenger will use it to say, this team is fine, look at what we've achieved. He does it every single year. They mess up at the start, they recover, and he says, we're moving in the right direction. They're not moving in the right direction, they are standing still, and they need a jolt to, pro- to prove that to Wenger. But it does allow them to keep signing decent players. Well, it, they, but, they, but the problem with Arsenal is they only sign decent players. They don't sign extraordinary players, which is what they need to get to the level where they're competing with United and City. They're a long way back. They need something. Yeah, it, that's the, the flip side, that you wouldn't be able to get the top quality players. Although I think Arsenal's reputation is enough that maybe people would still join them. See, if he if he thinks his team's going to be great, the only way of defining great in in these teams is by looking at teams he had before. He signed great players, you know, whether it was Robert Perez, whether it was Terry Henry, whether it's Patrick Vieira, you know. So you have to all the great sides that we watch and te- teams that win leagues and have great players in them. Whether it was Van Persie going to Man United, whether it's Aguero the year before or Tevez, they have great players. So you have to buy the very very best, or you can be competitive you will be like Rory said you'll stand still you'll be a team that can scrape over the line and there will always be question marks and everybody's waiting Arsenal fans have been waiting for a good few years now waiting for it to develop and Arsenal, Arsenal are sort of in a similar position to Liverpool obviously a much better position than Liverpool but the problem is kind of the same which is that you go through eat both of their first 11s and you sort of look at it and you think well you know he's not bad he's alright you know the, you, there's no sort of obvious weak point it's not like you look at Arsenal and think right the right back is dreadful get, get the, world, the world's best right back get Danny Alves and you're going to be a challenging for a title it's hard to see they're all 7 out of 10 players at Liverpool they're maybe 6.5 out of 10 players but the problem is that they, as Tony says they need a couple of 9 out of 10 players to, to, to compete with United and City and Wenger doesn't see that and now we've left Podolski crying into his teeth Quick hit time. Tony Cascarino. Is the international break holiday time? Roy Hodgson fears too many clubs maybe think that is what it's for. Um, yeah, I think slightly. And I also think before we blame the clubs and we blame managers and and I look at players and I think sometimes players, and I, I know a good few international players who have 
see this as 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 what it is is that international football can be a bit of a hindrance for some of these. They're actually quite happy um, to to not be involved and not travel or not go along. I think it's not just the managers. I think it's the, a lot of the players as well. I know quite a number of players who have pulled out of squads because they're not so keen in going to play for their country. Bit of a theme developing today about people not liking travel. Mm. Any reasons for Stoke to be cheerful after their two nil defeat to United, Rory? Uh, it was quite sunny. <laughs> uh, that, that United away it's quite nice um, it's, the game's over so they don't have to play United again uh, I, I'm worried about Stoke not worried and that would imply that I care but I think Stoke might be relegated this season from the Barclays Premier League to the End Power Championship because they're not very good at football and they look like I think teams have worked them out and I think the players have stopped believing in Pulis's methods despite his naked showering I thought they played okay actually have you seen Villa's run in, George? They've got Man United, then Sunderland, then Norwich, then Chelsea, then Wigan. Discuss. It's, it's a stinker. But the one thing they have got is a bit of momentum. I think they've won three of their last five games. They're unbeaten in four of, four of five. There's, there's reasons for optimism. And that, I mean, that is massively important at this time of the season. To go back to Stoke, I think they've won one game this year. So I think Villa have far more cause for optimism than Stoke do. Big Sam is hopeful his contract will be sorted by the end of the week. Tony, has he won the fans over? I think the answer is a definite yes, because <laughs> Upton Park, you would certainly know if you hadn't won the fans over. Um, they're a pretty ferocious bunch of fans down at Upton Park, and um, I think they, they have to appreciate that they were the team that come up with the other two. I think, I think they've done the best. I think they've done really well, West Ham, so yeah. Rory, why were Queen's Park Rangers an able unable to build on those consecutive wins over Southampton and Sunderland uh, they'd say they were quite unlucky against Wigan I think not to get a, a victory there I just I, I think there's a lack of and Redknapp kind of alluded to this I think they've got some decent players QPR but they've also got got some really poor players and there's a there's also a lack of sort of cohesion to the squad they just they're not really there's loads of, someone just shoved loads of players in there they're all on massive money there's no kind of identity to, uh, identity to them uh, and I think they're losing hope I, I think losing Nick Goodison is probably that's probably it for QPR Mancini says teams don't try as hard against United does he have a point George? Well I remember Alex Ferguson saying a few years ago that Man United have it more difficult because everybody raises their game against Man United now I've just made that up but it could be true and the point is <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, the po- and the point is people raise their games against champions Champions people raise their, ca- their games against good teams so um do I think he's got a point? No, I don't. Uh, and one for you, Alison Rudd, standing in for Dan Brilley-Marcotti. This isn't going to be an esoteric question about European football. Uh, is there any sign that Steven Gerrard, the Liverpool captain, is getting tired? Well, there was no sign of it uh, at Reading on Saturday at all. He was one of Liverpool's best players and uh, visibly, physically good and mentally going for it. Um, what I find more interesting is, is, is the way he's being managed by Rodgers, who, who does seem to have he doesn't seem to manage him as a manager, he manages him as a fan, as though he dare not drop him for a single minute of Premier League action, goodness, goodness knows what would happen if he did. And I think that sense of over-reliance on Stephen Gerrard, who will be 33 very soon, uh, uh, doesn't bode well. This is, this is it, it, he's a great player for, for, for Liverpool, but he probably needs managing better than Brendan Rodgers is prepared to do. That's it for this week. It has been fun. Thank you very much to my guests, uh, George Colkin, Tony Cascarino and Rory Smith. 
come and find us on Twitter and share your thoughts. Please, please do come and find us on Twitter or email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. And you can go to thetimes.co.uk for news, views, web chats, blogs, analysis, and of course, Twitter. Don't forget Twitter. Bye bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.